John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1. The last several weeks we've looked at the topic of places where Jesus walks. And I use that as the present tense because Jesus still walks in those places. Places where Jesus walks. We'll look at a different passage of scripture, different incident. This is familiar to a lot of folks. There's no way we can cover everything that, that we would need to in this passage of scripture in one sermon. But I want to keep the thoughts kind of streamlined to a particular point. But uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you 
am he. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the stories about Jesus. We thank you for revealing him to us and revealing ourselves to us. We ask as we come and look at this passage of scripture, show us what we need to know, communicate with us, and help us to settle any business that's outstanding with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Looking at the topic, places where Jesus walks. You look at this passage, here's the, uh, the whole idea of this passage. If you want to sum up the places where Jesus walks, Jesus walks right through man-made barriers. First of all, we encounter a trip to the north. Involves quite a bit of walking. He had to go from Judea to Galilee, according to this passage of Scripture. First of all, he did this to avoid a confrontation too early. Let's look at the potential controversy in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So we see the reason they left Judea and went to Galilee is he did not want a controversy, and the controversy is this. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining more of a following than John the Baptist. Well, we know a little bit earlier that John the Baptist had caused quite a stir, and they were getting a little nervous about John the Baptist and his following. And if you remember, the Pharisees went out to investigate, and John the Baptist looked at them, and he called them hypocrites and a brood of vipers, a den of snakes, and he said, you bring forth evidence of repentance, which of course the implication is they had not given any evidence of repentance. The message of John the Baptist was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then after Jesus was baptized, you know what his message was? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Pharisees knew Jesus had not changed his message. Jesus had not changed the word. And the same message was ringing out and people were coming to Jesus much more than the alarming amount of John the Baptist's disciples. So we have the reason that Jesus wanted to go from that region of Judea to Galilee is the fact that Judea is where Jerusalem was. And that's where all of these Pharisees were concentrated he would go to Galilee to the north. Why is it that Jesus wanted to avoid a confrontation? You would think that Jesus would want a confrontation and prove to these guys that they were wrong and he was right and this is what the scripture says about the Messiah. Well, the reason is referred to in another event a few pages back, if you look in chapter 3. Excuse me, chapter 2. <clears throat> we looked at this when we talked about places where Jesus walks. Jesus walks in the home this is one of the first things we notice. Chapter 2 of John, verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That phrase, my hour has not yet come, was mentioned early in the book of John. In the book of John, my hour 
is mentioned nine more times. Either my hour or the hour was mentioned nine more times. Now, we might think, well, we kind of left wondering is, what does this mean? What does my hour mean? Jesus makes it very clear. If you look at chapter 13, verse 1 in the book of John, we see exactly what my hour and the hour stands for. Now before the feast of the Passover, which Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The hour, his hour that he would depart from here. A little bit later on in the upper room when Jesus prayed in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. This was the upper room. This was just moments before his betrayal and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was just hours before his crucifixion. So when we talk about his hour had not yet come, we see in the book of John, as it's mentioned over and over again, Jesus was on a heavenly appointed timetable. And that timetable would not be rushed. And he knew there was still work to do before that hour would come. Therefore, to avoid a confrontation, Jesus left Judea and went north to Judea, Galilee. He left it to avoid a confrontation. He left Judea to keep an appointment. Now, there's a familiar word. I hope it's familiar to those who have been here the last couple of weeks when it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. The word here is needed. The King James says, must needs. New International Version says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, you might look at a map and say, well, of course, he had to pass through Samaria. Because you have to look at the fact that Judea is about like the southern third of Palestine. Samaria is right there, a little band in the middle from coast to coast. Galilee is to the north. So you think, sure, he had to pass through Samaria. But that's not the word that it was convenient for him to pass through. It said he must. And you remember, the Greek word is de, D-E-I. D-E-I means it is necessary for the nature of the case. It is a very strong word. It is more like this. He was compelled to go through Samaria. Now, this word compelled Jesus used several times to describe his attitude in fulfilling the purpose God had for him. You remember when he's trying to explain over and over again, the Son of Man, the Messiah, must go to Jerusalem, must suffer many things, must be killed, must raise a third day. Over and over he said, this has to happen. It is inevitable. It is the nature of the case that this would happen. And the attitude of Jesus is that he would not let anything keep him from fulfilling his purpose. In the same passage of Scripture in verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know of. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
Verse 34, Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food. In other words, that's what keeps me alive. My food, my essence, my driven purpose in life. What keeps me going is to finish the work that God has for me. And because of that work, he had to go through Samaria. You see, that's a familiar word to us in the last couple of weeks. But now, let's look at a familiar bearable, bear, a barrier that existed. A familiar barrier that, familiar to them. Oh, is real familiar to them. So we give you a little bit of a grammar here. It didn't say, and he had to go through Samaria. It said, but. Now, the word but means there's a contrast there. It meant there's another way to go from Judea to Samaria. You see, this region stood between Judea and Galilee. And no self-respectable Jew would go through Samaria. They would go around it. They would go around to the other side of Jordan and go up and then come back over. They wouldn't go through Samaria. And so we understand, but... Despite this, despite that would be the normal way to go, Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria. You see, this is what happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. For centuries, centuries, hundreds of years, a bitter conflict was between the Hebrew people and the Samaritans. How'd that happen? Well, we understand in 720 B.C., they were all Hebrew people. But in 2 Kings chapter 17, you have the story. The Assyrians came into that region known as Samaria. And they invaded that part of Palestine because of the judgment of God coming on the country. And they carried away a lot of the inhabitants of that part of the country. And they shipped in a lot of their people to inhabit the country because they were going to take the best. And so they just set up housekeeping in that country. All the Assyrians and about six other non-Jewish countries. They set up housekeeping for decades. Inevitably, inevitably, the Hebrew people in that area intermarried with the people who were inhabiting the area. They had depleted so much of the population, if they were going to start families, it was pretty much a, a human uh, necessity. It was bound to happen. Well, the Jews that were taken away stubbornly resisted intermarrying with the Assyrians. Seventy years later, they came back. They came back to rebuild Jerusalem. You see this in Nehemiah and Ezra. When they came back, they found out these Hebrew people had intermarried with all these heathens. They still had the Hebrew faith in God. They still worshipped the God of their fathers. But now, the racial bloodline they thought was polluted. Therefore, these people aren't real Jews. You see, according to these people... The racial bloodline was more important than the spiritual relationship with God. Racial heritage was more important to them than a spiritual relationship with God. And what happened is they didn't consider them real Jews. 
and bitter rivalry set up there. In time, out of necessity, the Samaritans had to establish another place to worship. And that's, this lady talks about that. Because of this, they hated each other. They had a rivalry that would match or surpass any racial tension in our country today. It was racial and it was political. So almost all Jewish travelers would go the long way around because not only were the Hebrew people filled with bitterness toward the Samaritans, the Samaritans, they pretty much returned the favor. They didn't really like the Hebrew people as well. In fact, if you look in the book of Luke, book of Luke chapter 9, situation sets up that explains and pretty much describes this whole situation. It's another situation where Jesus is going through Samaria. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to receive up, that is his hour, he's going to Jerusalem. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not welcome him or receive him because his face was set on the journey to go to Jerusalem. The Samaritans would harass the people going back and forth from Jerusalem. And the Samaritans many times would withhold hospitality and lodging and food from those folks who traveled through their country. So the disciples thought they would do the Christian thing, and they said, do you want us to call fire down on them and just burn them up like Elijah did? You see? You see here the hatred between the two groups? That's what Jesus had to deal with. So Jesus was, had an appointment. Jesus, because of this appointment, must go through Samaria. Now, the word but here means that was a big contradiction to what was normally done. No self-respecting Jew, much less a rabbi, would go through Samaria. But what Jesus wants us to know is that he must go to Samaria to do the Father's work, and he would not let a man-made barrier stop him. Jesus walked right through it. Now, a lot of people couldn't walk through it. A lot of people wouldn't walk through it. But Jesus acted like it wasn't there. And now he gets the stop at the well. The stop at the well, of course, is that Jesus stopped because he was tired and thirsty. This reveals the humanity of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that. When John said in his book, in the introduction of the book, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's chapter 1, verse 14. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact because we see Jesus doing the miracles. We, we know of the knowledge of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. But Jesus had to live in a body that got tired. Jesus lived in a body that got thirsty. Jesus was weary. Jesus was thirsty. And the same issues that we have to face dragging around this body of clay, Jesus had to deal with for 33 years. He knew pain like we knew pain. He knew thirst. He knew exhaustion like we know exhaustion. He knows about it. So when it said he became one of us, he was made flesh, it means he was totally, completely man. But he was totally, completely God, and our mind will never wrap around that. 
but we see the humanity of Jesus, and also it reveals the complete compassion of Jesus. He's at Samaria, and he sits at the well, and a woman comes to draw, and he says, could you give me a drink? It says for the disciples had gone to buy food, and this is kind of explains this. The, the custom was, as you traveled, you always carried a folded up goat skin pouch with a long rope on it, where if you encountered a well while you were traveling, you would just draw water out of the well. It wasn't a bucket, it was just a pouch, and it would fold up easily in your, uh, in your bag, and you would carry it with you. Well, the disciples had that. So she came to the well, and he said, would you give me something to drink? Jesus broke two barriers, and she knew it. She said, I can't believe you're talking to me. First of all, I can't believe that you being Jew would talk to Samaritan. Secondly, I can't believe that you being a Jewish man would talk to a woman. You see, Jewish culture was that a Jewish rabbi could not talk to a woman in public, even his own wife. There was a barrier there. There was a barrier there where Jewish leaders did not treat women well. and They would not give women literally the time of day. You would not speak to a woman. And Jesus walks right through him. He walks right through him. He would not let human barriers stop him from communicating his love with others. And the same is true today. Jesus will not let a human barrier, whatever is political, national, racial, whatever, he will not let that stop him from communicating his love with humanity. And he introduces himself to the woman. He introduces himself to the woman by saying this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, give me a drink. If you were to ask of him, he would have given you living water. What, what, does that, what does that say? Well, you have to understand. Water is an Old Testament picture of a right relationship with God. So when he said, I'll give you living water, she knew what he was talking about. And of course, he says it again. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst. Of this uh, will thirst again, talking about the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will come in him in a fountain, springing up into everlasting life. So she knew he was not just talking about that water. He introduces himself to her, says, I can give you that living water. The book of Psalms, chapter 42, verse 1, David said this way, As a deer thirsts after the water brooks, my soul thirsts after you. And that is the soul of every human being on the planet. We have a thirst for God. The problem is we fill that thirst with all kinds of other trash and sometimes leave God out of the equation. But our thirst is for God. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy, you'll draw water out of the wells of what? Salvation. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, everyone who thirsts come to the waters. So when he begins to talk about living water, and I can give you living water, she knew then he was talking about the coming Messiah that can bring a right relationship with God. 
So he introduces himself to her. And then he introduces her to herself. She said, give me this water, but I'll never thirst. And he says, go call your husband and come and we'll talk. She answered and said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You answered well in that you say, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that, you told me the truth. See, he introduced her to herself. See, she didn't really see herself as she really was till she came face to face with Jesus. When she came face to face with Jesus, she said, you've told me right you have no husband. doesn't mean you live alone. The one you're living with is not your husband. Now, she was a Samaritan, but she also knew the Hebrew Bible. And she knew her living arrangement was against biblical standards. That biblical standard was the same in Jerusalem, and it was the same in Samaria. Biblical standards are the same everywhere in any generation. And what he said was this, you have some spiritual issues. And she knew what he was talking about. Seeing this, she recognizes he's something different. She says, you're a prophet. And that means you're a spokesman from God. And he reveals who he really is in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals his real name. In the original language, that last word, he, is not in the discussion that Jesus had. The translators put that in. You might say, what difference does that make? Well, if you read it the way Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you, I am. Because... She knew that was the Hebrew title for God Almighty. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3, you know the story. Moses at the burning bush. And Moses at the burning bush, God's trying to tell him and convince him he needs to go and rescue his people. And in verse 13 of Exodus, chapter 3, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I'm coming to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. And the Hebrew people accepted that as the name of God Almighty. I am. I am. Jesus uses it 25 times in the book of John. And just to know that he's not using this in just a, another sense of conversation and grammar, in chapter 8, verse 58, he says a, an interesting thing. 
back up to verse 57. He's talking about his identity to the Jewish people. The Jews said to him, are not yet 50, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have, have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, certainly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Notice he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. That tells us he's saying, I am always in the present tense. I am eternal. I am, and it's in all caps, means he was saying before Abraham was, I am. And he was claiming, rightfully so, he is God Almighty. I am. He uses it 25 times in the book of John. Is there any mistake of the communication of this book as to who Jesus is? He is God Almighty. So he introduces himself to her as not just another prophet, not just another teacher, but God Almighty. And he introduces himself to humanity today as God Almighty, not just another teacher. Some people might say, well, it's okay to believe that Jesus is just a prophet. Well, Jesus was a prophet and a good teacher, but Jesus came on the scene and said, I am God. And to accept Jesus as a good teacher, we have to accept the fact that that is true. And yes, it is definitely true. I am. Jesus is God Almighty. So here's God Almighty walking through man-made barriers, showing us they don't matter. They mattered for centuries. And they still do, don't they? He said they don't matter. The love of God and the message of God surpasses any and all differences that we can throw up between us and another individual. They do not matter. So regardless how different you may be from somebody else, God loves you. And God must, he said, go to the cross and die for you. Jesus walked through man-made barriers to keep an appointment. You see, there was a different time and a definite place that Jesus wanted to meet with that woman. Despite the fact that she was Samaritan, despite the fact she was a woman, despite the fact she was a sinner woman, he said, I love her. I'm going to go talk to her. Now, the place was the well. The time was high noon. Now, let me tell you, when is God's appointment with you? The place is here and the time is now. The fact that you're here hearing this word meant that God has an appointment to keep with you. Do you know Christ? Do you know him as Messiah? Do you know him as Lord? Do you know him as God Almighty? Have you accepted what Jesus came to do on the cross so we can be forgiven? And despite what anybody else may think of us, however we may be seen in the eyes of the world like this woman, Jesus loves you, and Jesus wants you to be in the family of God. Do you know that? Are you in? As we stand and sing, what number? number? 99.